sung truly this morning? Have you come with an open heart to hear something from those ancient words that I think you will find are as relevant for us as they were when they were first written? The ancient words that we're going to be looking at specifically are found in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 8. We'll continue through to uh, chapter 2, verse 2. This is the last letter, we believe, that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. He wrote it from prison just before his life was given, probably. And so these are such important words written to a pastor, young Timothy, and to the church he would lead in Ephesus. And really what he writes him about are the most important things for the life of any church until Christ comes again. Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. Let us stand and hear these ancient words, for they are the words of our Father. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters here at Lake, I want to tell us that we even now are engaged in a race. The Bible often uses that image. Sometimes it will talk about walking with the Lord as being not a walk, 
that like a marathon and calls us to continue on and to continue on until the work is done. But today I want to think about a different kind of race. Yeah, because the metaphor that I think the Apostle Paul uses in 2 Timothy is more like a relay race. And do you know what the uh, most important part of a relay race is? It's when the baton is exchanged. It's that time when one runner is running and running and must continue to run. But even as that leg is being run, the first leg runner is getting ready to pass that baton on to the one who must run the next leg. It doesn't really matter how well each individual runner runs if there is a clumsy exchange of the baton, or especially if the baton is dropped. I want to tell us that we are in a relay race. It is one long relay race. It has been going on for two millennia. And it's a little bit different from other relay races because all of us need to sort of cross that line uh, together. But it seems to me that that is the very image that the Apostle Paul uses in this, his last letter. Uh, before we look at it, I, I just want to remind you that the Apostle Paul had been running hard. But now he was coming to the end of his part of the race. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's what he says. My part of this race is over. Because the time for my departure, he will say, is at hand. At the last, very last part of the letter, he will say, There was one time when I was in prison before that I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. But this next time, I don't think it's going to happen. He knew that a crown of righteousness was laid up for him once he had finished his part of the race. But he also knew that the race wasn't over because he knew the mission, the, the end of the line. Jesus had said so clearly that he would not complete his work. He would not come again until the good news of Jesus had reached to all people groups. Then he says he will come again. And at the end of Paul's life, he knew that that hadn't happened. And so knowing that that hadn't happened and knowing that he didn't have very much time, he knew that he had to pass the baton on to someone else. And that's the image that he uses in this verse, chapter 2, uh, verse 2 of 2 Timothy. Look at that with me. There it is. And the things you have heard me say, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to reliable men who then will be able to entrust those things to others. Now, brothers and sisters, do you see how important this verse is for the life of the church? Really, in this one verse, the first 150 to 200 years of the church are being envisioned. You have the Apostle Paul running the first leg. As he is running, he is passing it on to young people like Timothy. But he's telling Timothy, as you are going to be running, you have to be passing it on to those who are going to run the third leg... Uh, those that he calls reliable men who have to be ready to pass it on to those who will run the fourth leg, the others. And so it has happened. The gospel is passed from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to reliable people, from reliable people to others like Justin Martyr and St. Augustine, to others like John Calvin and John Wesley 
to others like Jonathan Edwards and Francis Asbury, uh, to others like James Henry Hutchins and Ray Ortland, to others like, well, here we are. Well, here we are. I, I feel this so deeply. I feel that a baton is being passed to us, and it is something that is important, that we had better understand what it is, and we had better grasp it. And we have the both responsibility and incredible privilege, not only to grasp the baton, but now to be those passing it on, passing it on. Now, my question is, what is it that holds us together? What is this that is being passed on that the Apostle Paul would be recognizable? Or if, if I would uh, frame it in another way, knowing that this family of God to whom the baton will be passed is both wide, reaching all people groups, and deep, going on at least 2,000 years. How is God going to hold this together? What is it? that makes it so that there is something that can be passed on. I guess there are several options. I've, I've been thinking about these, and I'll, I'll have you think about them with me. One option is perhaps God could have said to Paul, Paul, it's not going to be done for a long time, so appoint a hierarchy, appoint a group, an authoritative group of people who will meet somewhere, someplace, and that they will determine and have the authority to deal with all of the churches that are named in the name of Jesus Christ to deal with doctrinal issues and discipline issues. And as you may know, some people have said that God did that, that there should be an episcopacy of, of, of authoritative people who hold the church together. Second option, there could be just one, because groups have a hard time getting along, one authoritative person, that the very authority that the apostles like Peter and, and Paul had would be passed on to one individual who sometimes could speak without error, infallibly, to hold the church together. Now, you may not know this, but some have held to that view throughout history. I guess the third option would have been that God could have appointed in every local church, at any time and at any place, authoritative prophets and apostles. That any time you would have a church gathered such as this one, God would make sure that in every church there would be somebody who would be given a word that would hold the, an authoritative word that has the same authority as the words of the apostles to hold the church together. And I don't know if you know it, but throughout history there have been groups who have said that and continuing today there are some who do. Or a fourth option that I just thought of is perhaps every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus would become his or her own authority. Uh, that God could allow the passing on of his message to be a shared experience with God. We could have all sort of hear the story of Jesus being passed down and interpret it according to our own interests and needs. Now, that would really apply to our day, and wouldn't it? In postmodern individualistic sensitivities. Well, as we gather here this morning and try to figure out what it is that has been entrusted to us, I think there are two key verses. I hope you'll just make note of them. They're in this text, the last letter that Paul is writing, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I read them earlier, but look at it in the light of this question again. Timothy, 
what you heard from me. Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, in looking at those two key verses, do you notice what the Bible does not say? It does not talk about a hierarchy of a group that holds the church together. Do you see that he does? It doesn't talk about one individual sitting someplace who can speak infallibly for God, who would continue to do that as it's passed on through the generations. It, it doesn't talk about each local church having its own prophets or apostles who speak infallibly for God. Nor does it say that there is a shared experience that every individual believer has. Do you see what he says? I don't want you to miss this because I think it is so important for us. Verse 13, that first phrase, Timothy, what you heard from me. You see that? And it's re-echoed in chapter 2, verse 2. Timothy, those things that you have heard me say. In the presence of many witnesses, you must first embrace them and then entrust them, pass them on. Um, in other words, what he says is, Timothy, there is a body of teaching, and as I see it, that has embedded, been embedded in the revelation of God. A body of teaching that holds the church together. It is what in verses 8 through 12 is summarized in one word. The word, the gospel. The gospel. I know we often use that word, the gospel, only for the good news that we need to receive Jesus into our lives. But it really is the word that summarizes the whole message of the Bible. It centers in Jesus Christ. And you know what the word gospel means, don't you? It, it's good news. Or in some ways, even better, you, Angelion, a beautiful message. It is a beautiful message. That we need, and we need to hear it again and again, and it touches every part of our lives. It is a beautiful message of hope that is available for all who have been made in the image of God, if they could but hear and receive it. Now in this I see that there are two key phrases. Yeah, there's two key verses and two key phrases. The first is in verse 13, keep the pattern. And the second in verse 14, guard the deposit. In verse 13... We have to keep the pattern. In other words, in this teaching that Paul was passing on, that he had received from the Lord and now is passing on to Timothy, he says that there is a shape and order to it, that all of it is important, and that there are parts that emerge as being so central to all of it. It's why we need to come and not leave out certain parts of the Bible. Uh, per perhaps you have heard that sometimes there are churches that want to gather and don't want to talk about the bad news that makes us so thankful for the good news. Namely, that God wants our lives to change. Namely, that we, we have to be rescued. We can't keep going down the paths that we are going. That news that people say, well, later on people can hear that. We can't leave out parts of it because there is a pattern to what God has revealed. And he says to Timothy, you need to take time to remember what I have taught so carefully in the presence of many witnesses. And as I see it now has been embedded in this word, the scriptures. Take time to hear the whole. It's the reason we do what we're doing now. That there is a pattern that, in fact, I love this phrase, of sound teaching that we need desperately. 
Actually, um, the word sound really means health giving. Do you like that? It means as we look at our lives, we know that our lives aren't all that they should be. We need healing inside for things that have been done to us as well as for bad choices we have made. And we wonder, can anything ever be different? And in this word, we find a pattern of teaching that can bring health and hope to our lives. Timothy, he says, as a pastor of the church, you need to make sure that you keep the pattern of the teaching that God has revealed and pass it on to your people because it is what is going to bring health and hope to their lives. I like that nine o'clock service. It's sometimes hard to look into your faces and to see if you, you agree with me, but it is a beautiful thing. The second phrase is his guard the deposit, which also helps us to understand something about the faith. The word deposit means that there's something concrete that God has given to us. It tells us that the Christian faith that you and I have embraced is not simply an experience. It is that. It is that. I mean, we experience the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and hopefully, by God's grace within the church, the love of God through His people. There is an experience, but it, it, the experience flows out of a message that is true. It is a deposit that has been placed in our hand. And once again, there's something that we lose in the translation. Uh, Paul wrote in Greek, and in my translation, it says, guard the good deposit. And once again, the word that is used there is beautiful. Guard this beautiful deposit that helps you to understand the world that you are in. Helps you to understand yourself and the people around you to make sense of things. And it seems to me that the word that summarizes both that pattern and that deposit is this wonderful word, gospel. So, so you need to be with me again. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? I think there is one verse that perhaps one or two of you have heard before that states it as clearly as any verse in the Bible. And here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting, will have eternal life. Now, have any of you ever heard that verse? <laughs> Those of you who don't go to church very often, if anybody ever has, that's probably the verse that you've heard. If our children in Sunday school continue to memorize verses, they probably memorize that one. And yet, as simple and beautiful as it is, it raises all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Uh, for example, who is God? God so loves. Obviously, there is a God who loves, but what is he like? And that takes us all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. This God, who is the one who is the source of the good news... Is existed before the world existed. And is this all-powerful one who has created everything and, and brought it into existence. W without limitations of time, without limitations of power. All-powerful, holy, and also loving. And, and the pattern of teaching that we have to keep reveals who he is. What, what is this world like? That he says he loves. That takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 as well. That everything that God made when he was finished with it at the end of the sixth day. What did he say? It was good. In fact, after he would made us as human beings, believe it or not, he said, it's very good. 
It's, it's very good. It means you and I can look at this world in a way nobody else can. It is our Father's handiwork. It's why we can study. It's, it's why Christians, who are also scientists, love their work so much. Because as they are doing it, they see what their Father has made. It gives us the opportunity, as Jeremy was talking about, to rejoice in musical gifts because our Father gave them. See, it changes our whole view of the world. And what about people in this world that He's made? If everything was very good, why does it say God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish? Boy, there's a daunting word. And, and especially if everything was very good, and then you look around at people... Look at, look at the people here. Look at, you, we say, what's gone wrong? <laughs> what's gone wrong? That's the question we have to ask. Why is there so much suffering and so much pain in this world? And the Bible helps us to understand that too. That though there was a time when God walked and talked with people, and we didn't have to live in the restricted presence of God where we simply knew Him by faith but by sight, that people walked away from Him disobeyed him Genesis chapter 3 and we have a whole pattern century after century after century of people walking away from God that has just devastated our world and the people who live in it but God loves us anyway and the Bible story this gospel story is all about what God did in planning to send one who was not perishing one who could save us one who could rescue us. And let me tell you, the center of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, is what I call the Christ event. Do you know what I mean by that? This entire event that describes the coming of the Son of God into this world. That we'll be celebrating it at Christmas. The incarnation, God coming to the world, then Jesus living and showing us the image of God. He showed us the blueprint of how human life was to be lived. And everybody who saw him, they saw how distorted they were. And they didn't like what they saw. And they put him to death. But even God used that. The death of the Son of God on the cross. In our place. The shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is what offers hope to us. And, and death could not hold him. The cross could not destroy him. But he defeated sin and death by his resurrection. And now, to all who believe in Him, He gives forgiveness of sins. And He gives His Holy Spirit, who begins recreating us. It's called sanctifying us. Remaking us to be what God intends us to be. See, Christ didn't give His life just to forgive us of our sins and to leave us in sin. He gave His life so that we could begin to be what we were created to be. And he's not going to be done until the end of the book of Revelation. Until a people from every tribe and language and nation is gathered around the throne. And every one of them who crosses that finish line has been remade. Conformed to the image of Christ. There is the gospel. It goes from Genesis to the end of the book of Re Revelation. It's the whole Bible that we must teach. All of it points to Jesus and the good news. The heart of the gospel is the person of Jesus. One of the other places in these ancient words where we have that described, and if you have your Bible, I'd like you to look at it again. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul, where some of the gospel was being denied, wants to remind them of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. 
Now, brothers, I, I want to remind you of the gospel. I think every time you come, if God keeps leading you here, you're going to hear your pastor probably say something like that. Because it applies to every question and every issue of the gospel I preached to you, the gospel that you received, the gospel on which you have taken your stand. Because it's by this gospel that you are saved, completely rescued, remade, if you hold firmly to that word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. We're here. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures. And then he appeared. And he just tells about the many. Now one of my favorite teachers. And pastors. Talked about this. His name is John Stott. Perhaps many of you know about him. He's written a wonderful book. Talking about the gospel. And that book is called Evangelical Truth. I'll just show you a few pieces, and you might want to make note of it. What is the gospel? Dr. Stott said, we, we believe that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, God's very wisdom. It's utter folly to the world, even though it is the power of God to those who are being saved. This good news is, first, Christological. I know it's a big word. But it means it focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you come into church and you are not pointed to Jesus, the gospel has not been preached. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, in preaching Christ, if you haven't pointed out the meaning of his death and his resurrection, then Jesus hasn't been preached. Beyond that, Dr. Stott said, this good news is biblical. Because all the good news is death and resurrection and everything about it that applies to us is according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. He says it is also theological. Now, this is where you say this, is, this guy was a seminary president. Why does he always have to talk about theology? Because it is wonderful and life-giving. That's why. Theological simply is talking about God being at the center. Words about God. And the message of the gospel is not something that Paul created. It is something that God has done. Remember last week, 2 Corinthians 5. All this good news is from God. More than that, it is historical. Something that sets the Christian faith apart from many other religions. It is about someone who came into time and space, Jesus himself. And only one person has come who was not himself susceptible to sin he lived a sinless life and in history gave his life on a cross and rose again it is a historical message that we cause call you to remember and therefore the exclusive claim is only jesus can bring this ultimate good news it is apostolic this message that we are passing on is not created just in the 21st century but the message I preach to you, by God's grace, is the very same message that the Apostle Paul was passing on to Timothy and has been passed down and holds God's family together. And finally, Dr. Stott says, it is intensely personal. Where it is received, believed, and 1 Corinthians 15, held firmly, it brings us life. The good news. God is engaged in a rescue effort. 
He is ready to rescue your life. Eternal life that He wants to give you is not just life that goes on and on and on. Because some of the days we live now, we don't want those to go on and on. That wouldn't be heaven, would it? It is life from God. Life as God created it to be lived. What is the gospel? It is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, your job is to know that gospel and all the implications of it found in what I have taught. You are to grab hold of that baton. You are to guard it and make sure it doesn't come into the second place of your church. And you are to pass it on until the work of Christ is done. Now, why am I preaching this to us? Here, I'll just go from being your theology teacher to being a part of this family with you. I simply want to tell you my longings for us as Lake Avenue Church and what I seek to do as your pastor whenever we gather. Uh, First, I am praying that our church will continue to be a gospel-centered church. The gospel of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that when we gather in this place, we're going to hear this pattern of sound teaching and think about it. The parts that confront us and say that has to change and those parts that encourage us and say God is still with you. Uh, I'm praying that it will not be just a success centered church where we do whatever we have to do just to help it to become bigger, though I pray that God will help us to reach people and that this this worship center will not be big enough for all of those who embrace the good news. I don't want our decisions to be based upon what will lead to success, but upon the gospel. I pray it won't be a tradition-driven church, though I hope we will love what God has done here and remember what God has done here. But we will not be governed or directed simply by the past, except by the gospel. And what will enable us to live this gospel and to entrust this gospel to the world God has put us in. I pray it will not be, as I see so many churches becoming, simply a self-help or therapy-centered church. Where all we come is come together and read therapy books. And then maybe find one verse that sort of agrees with it. Though I pray that in this place, people might find help and healing and hope. For it is found when the gospel, that pattern of health-giving teaching, is embraced and applied and lived. I pray that whenever you gather here, you will hear your pastor simply opening this word and bringing to you the gospel. A second point that I'm longing for. I'm praying that we're going to be a passionate, a passionate gospel-centered church. Do you know why I say that? I better go up and get my Bible again. I better look at the clock, too. Yes. Okay. Because you know that in order to be a gospel-centered church, we have to learn the pattern of sound teaching that is here. And, And the problem is, so many times when you're studying this word, the study itself becomes deified. We just think that the learning of this and putting it into our heads in and of itself will make us a stronger believer. 
Let me tell you that when this word is opened, yes, it must be learned, but it must be applied and it must be lived. And I love how Paul puts it. Look in verse 13. Timothy, what you've heard from me, you keep that as the pattern of sound teaching. But don't miss this phrase with faith and love in Christ Jesus. You see that? Or guard this beautiful deposit that was entrusted to you, but guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. As an old southern preacher used to say to us, if we keep the word of God in our hands and the fire of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we probably won't go far wrong. And I pray that this church will be a place where we study this word, but we learn to love the Lord passionately and love all who come across our paths as ourselves. And then my third prayer for us is that we will be a church that is ready, and I simply called it for the challenge. What challenge am I talking about? Well, maybe two of them. That if we become a place where the gospel is the heart of this place, look what happens in chapter 1, verse 8. Timothy, don't be ashamed to testify about the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me as his prisoner, but join me in suffering. Don't miss the phrase. Suffering for the gospel. And in case we miss this, of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And look what he says. That is why I am suffering as I am. He was in prison because he brought people good news. Why do people resist the good news of Jesus? A part of it is, as he talks about here, it tells people they need to be saved. It tells them they have to change their lives. He's called us to a holy life. It's very humbling, isn't it? That we have to acknowledge we can't do it ourselves. And many people who simply would like to continue on and and not to humble themselves before the Lord and say, Father, I need you. Resist this message. The other part is, is this message in verse 10 about the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the only one who destroyed death and brought life to light. In other words, this exclusive claim that God loves everyone, but the way to come to him is only through Jesus, is hated by a world that values tolerance above everything. Are we going to be a gospel-centered church, even when it's hard, by God's grace? And the other challenge, and this is where I pray that you will join me in this, is to begin thinking about people to whom we believe we want to pass the baton. Will you take out this sheet? I asked you at the beginning. I want you to identify not 50 people, but one to three, one, one to three and you can write them on the top part of this sheet. It has a baton there. On the bottom, you can put them again. You have to decide yourself if you want to put their, just their first name or first and last. Uh, somebody uh, in the church I was in before when we did this put it up on their refrigerator door. And these friends came by and they said, what's my name doing on your refrigerator? <laughs> I had to admit, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. When I left the Arlington Heights Church in in Illinois, I will never forget, we did this there, that there were a number of people who stood up and gave testimony and said, my name was in that box. And now I belong to Jesus.
Do you know anybody who needs some good news? The good news of Jesus. The stinger in the tail is when we begin praying for those people specifically, God may call us to go to them. Here's what we're going to do today. If you will take that perforation and divide it, you can roll this up like a baton. I'd thought about having a string, but I thought my motor skills aren't well enough, good enough to do it. Then we have either side of the cross, and I think also in the the balcony, there is a cross. We often talk about bringing the names of people to the foot of Jesus, to the foot of the cross, and that's what we're going to do. As a wonderful hymn is going to be sung, a hymn of invitation, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, fall on Jesus. I would love to have you come and bring these, this part of the sheet and put them in the baskets. As I said, the choir did it yesterday. Uh, last night's group did it. If you have a hard time getting out, and I know some of you do, this is the beauty of this. View it as a baton. Pass it on to somebody who's coming and have them bring it to the foot of the cross. And we are going over the next six or seven months to be praying that through the witness and life of this church, many may come to receive the good news of Jesus. As the music is being played, step out from wherever you are and come forward to the cross.